in introducing the armor of God in the sixth and final chapter of the book of Ephesians, uh, at verse 10, Paul said, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes, the methodia, the methods of the enemy. Now what we notice here is the armor of God is in all of its parts how we engage the strength of the Lord and the power of His might. Right? So there's nothing about the armor of God that has to do with our abilities to do anything. It has to do with the strength of the Lord and the power of His might. Okay? Now, let me go back to the first chapter of the book of Ephesians and show you something. When Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says to them that I'm writing to you that, quote, verse 18, 17 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. So I want you to have uh, the spirit of wisdom, I want you to have the spirit of, uh, of, of revelation. And, let, and I want it to be focused in the knowledge of God. Furthermore, he says, I want that the eyes of your understanding should be enlightened. These aren't the physical eyes, it's the eyes of your understanding. The seven spirits, seven characteristics to the Spirit of God. When man fell, what was lost to man was the ability to see things the way God sees things. He no longer saw things through the eyes of his spirit, he began to see everything through the eyes of his soul. Keep that in mind because what the enemy has constructed as the basis and footing of his warfare is what is, what is effective to deceive the eyes of your soul. He started out that way in the garden. The tree was seen to be pleasing to the eye. So it shifted the vision away from an understanding of what they saw as interpreted through the eyes of their spirit or as interpreted through their spirit, through an understanding of what they saw as interpreted through the eyes of the soul. The eyes of the soul 
unlike the eyes of the Spirit, register reality differently. The eyes of the soul register reality according to what you lust for, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. What that means is you will see things according to how you are predisposed to wanting to see them and the driver behind how you wish to see anything is self-preservation and self-protection. These become strongholds, strongholds, holds that, that grip you strongly because they are rooted in the emotions of the soul. When God created people, people aren't good or bad. A baby is essentially innocent, but that baby becomes subject to all manner of conditionings upon the soul. The principal conditioning of a, of a child is by the culture of a family and the principal conditioning of a family is the culture of the ancestral uh, uh, lineage from which that child comes. The mother and the father, while the child is still in the womb, have discussions about that child, have discussions about all kinds of things around, uh, around the circumstances of that child. The mother feels certain emotions based on these discussions, whether these are stirred up, whether these emotions are stirred up by memories of her own past in her own family growing up or their new memories or new, new emotional impulses created by the way the father's words affect her which in turn come from the way the father grew up. These emotions are passed on to the child in the womb. If they are joyous, pleasant emotions, when new circumstances in the, in the growing up of a child recall these emotions to the child, the child then becomes happy for reasons that she doesn't understand, he or she doesn't understand. Or if they are unpleasant emotions, the child becomes depressed and anxious and worried for reasons he or she doesn't understand. So the culture begins to shape the mindset of the child along the lines of emotions. This is how the soul works. Now this is not the time when I want to delve into the soul, these are just examples that ought to pique your interest to find out more thoroughly how the soul works. Because the schemes of the enemy are based upon stirring up emotions in your soul that have been there from before you were born, while you were in your mother's womb. The methodologies 
the methodia that is described as the wiles of the devil are predicated upon these understandings. So when the eyes of the soul were opened in the garden, it was based upon the appeal through the five senses. They saw that the tree was desirable, what was pleasing to the eye, one of the five senses, and it was desirable to make one wise. That's how they reasoned about uh, how this affected them. So the soul takes in, or the, the person takes in impulses through the five senses and the soul interprets, the mind of the soul interprets these impulses and assigns emotions to them, even before you're born. So don't think you're smart enough to escape the wiles of the devil. That's why Paul said, I'm writing to you, I'm writing to you, that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. These are the eyes of your spirit, the way man saw before the eyes of his soul were opened. Remember in the garden it says, and the eyes of the soul, or the eyes, and his eyes were opened. In fact, that's what the devil said to man. If you eat of this tree, your eyes will be opened. Well, their natural eyes were open, they could see the fruit on the tree is pleasing. The eyes of their spirit were open because they were always talking to God. Every day He would show up and they would talk with Him. What eyes then were not opened? The eyes of the soul. So the eyes of the soul were opened and they took in the impulses through their five senses, registered these impulses in the soul, according to desires, according to lusts, and they acted, and the devil got them. Same scheme, same methodia. Now, he has become vastly more sophisticated in both his understanding of human beings and in the entrapment of human beings since those early days. So, there is no chance that you could escape the schemes of the enemy short of, quote, I pray that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened. This is chapter 1 of Ephesians. Chapter 6 is where he concludes, finally be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power, and the armor of God then is the equipping through the strength, which is, it depends upon the strength and power of the Lord. So let me go on and show you a little bit further, a little bit more, what he said in the beginning to lead him in the sixth chapter lead Paul in the sixth chapter, what did he say in the beginning of Ephesians that leads us back to the sixth chapter where all of the elements of the armor of God reflect the strength and power 
of God, which is the only way you can stand against the methods of the devil. I, I took this little bit of a, a digression to show you how impossible it is for you to think that you could rationally escape the method, methodology of the devil. No, it was crafted to take a full advantage of your blindness. When anyone lives by the sight of the soul, the eyes of the soul, you see and you do not see. You hear and you do not hear, neither do you understand. The seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom, knowledge, understanding, counsel, power, the fear of the Lord and, and Lordship, seven characteristics. That's the only way your soul could be retrofitted to detect the schemes of the devil. Otherwise, you will lose money on the instant replay. Meaning to say, he'll do the same tricks over and over and over again and you won't see it coming and when you're in the midst of it, you're going to react the same as you have every other time before which someone has described as insanity. Welcome to the insane ward. Look, you could choose to believe what I'm saying or not, one way or the other. You will live out of a certain reality. I'm trying to tell you what that reality is that is our default setting. Ignore it to your peril. It is. You know, I'm not anymore inclined to plead with people for their own good. We have come to the place where that doesn't work. People think if you tell them what is true and for their own good that you want something. The only way to get along in the church today is to tell people what they want to hear. I'm being this bold with you. I'm being this uncompromising with you. There's only a handful of people in the church who care about the truth. A handful. The majority hire preachers and go to conferences and pay entry fees to hear what they already believe and they think that is truth <laughs> and they'll say silly things like, we are having ourselves church. Well that's true, you're amusing yourselves, you're entertaining yourselves and, and that's like having a party on the Titanic after it struck the iceberg. I'm trying to approach this from any way that I have uh, any inspiration or insight to try to convince a remnant of people to look up from the focus upon the lust of the soul with some remaining intent 
to hear from God. The, the deafness is resounding, the blindness is impenetrable darkness and it's descended upon the church in this hour. It's why the church is doing all that it is doing and the world hates it. It is bringing upon itself the long-rumored persecution. When it comes, when it comes, not if, when it comes, no one will lift a finger to defend the church because the church will have been presented as the ultimate foolish thing comprised of just foolish human beings led by their lust. It won't even appear to be rational, let alone having the power of God and His might in which it stands. It's clothed itself with its lust and it thinks that its lust will attract more people from the world. No, they have different forms of lust. They lust for power, they lust for control and whatever serves that is how they are entrapped in the labyrinth of the devil's schemes. So Paul said that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know, here are the things Paul once was writing Ephesians to say to the believers that he hoped they would know. Number one, what is the hope of his calling? You know, we weren't put here to save the world. That's, that's a true evangelical notion. We were put here individually to carry the presence of God in our environments, to be light, to be light. When God said, let there be light, He had this in mind, that He would come and inhabit the body of Christ and you in particular to show some aspect of His character so that when Christ is lifted up in that way, He will draw men to him, all men to Himself. In that sense, yes, they'll be saved, but it was never a method, it was never the foolish four spiritual laws as an argument or any other concoction. It was the appearing of Christ and the goodness of God that appears when Christ appears in you that is the message to which God wishes to draw men. Not evangelical framing of arguments, it, it doesn't work anymore if it ever worked because of the disgrace in which it comes. It's easy to dismiss anything evangelicals have to say today because of who evangelicals have become. The only thing that's going to turn this tide is for God Himself 
to rise up in you as that part of Christ that you carry, that speaks wisdom and counsel into a darkening world, into a world where people don't know what wisdom is, they don't know what godly counsel is, they conflate information with knowledge and and they're groping around in darkness. Light is the answer and light comes in persons, not in words. Light comes as persons come. Words and deeds are interpreted in the context of persons. Lots of words are being said, lots of deeds are being done, but the persons have become debauched and corrupt, so it means nothing to the world. Number one, that you might know what is the hope of His, His, not your, His calling, how He has called you, what He wants to do in you. Number two, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, how He wishes to express Himself with particularity in and through you, the richness of His presence. And number three, what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe? The the words exceeding greatness are depicted in a Greek term, hupo balo, and it means to throw beyond. Like in the Olympic Games, where the heroes would throw a discus beyond the furthest mark, or throw a javelin beyond the furthest mark. So it's beyond your expectation. The power of God and the exceeding greatness of His power is beyond your expectation. That's why He says, clothe yourself, back to Ephesians 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, Uh, we're wrestling against the schemes of the devil, so take to yourselves the mighty strength of God and His mighty power. Same thing He's talking about here, the throwing beyond beyond any expectation. Mighty power, uh, working of His mighty power uh, on behalf of those who believe and the demonstration of that mighty power is in raising Christ from the dead, now stay with me, and seating Him at His right hand in heavenly places, the high, the exalted, far above all principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that is named, not only in the present age, but in the one that is to come. So Christ is seated in the power of God, far in heavenly places, above everything else. He is the ultimate, the summit, and this is far above, not just a a smidgen above, but far above 
far above principality, power, might, and dominion. So there are principalities, powers, might, and dominion. Christ is seated far above. Now as we come back to Ephesians 6, where I digressed, to talk to you a little bit about the power of God working on your behalf. Look at this, finally my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, which is to say, clothe yourself with the reality of Christ, which is the exceeding greatness of His power. Put on the whole armor of God to be able to stand against this methodologies of the devil. Why? Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Who do we wrestle against? Well, what did he say was where Christ was seated, far above? Principality, power, rule, not only in the present age but in the age to come. Look at this, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but we wrestle against principalities, powers, darkness of this age, the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly realms. He began by telling us that his mission was to acquaint us with the superior power of Christ, to throw beyond, having seated Christ beyond, above, far above principality, power, dominion, in this, not only in the present age but in the one to come. So it's a permanent uh, investiture. And then he connects that with who we wrestle against. So his power is able to overthrow, to overthrow, which is the word uh, well, it relates to the word antihistamine, antihistemi. I'll come to that in the later portions of this teaching. To stand successfully against, or in, in the nature of spiritual warfare, uh, to withstand, to withstand, which is the term. Uh, Nikeo, N-I-K-A-O, Nikeo, we get the English word or the Greek, the, the Greek word that was uttered, the swoosh, Nike, the swoosh, Nikeo, that's the same word, a victor, one who is victorious and overcoming. So we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, we wrestle against principalities which are domains of rule and against the powers that rule in these domains, which are dark domains and attended by spiritual hosts, angelic beings of wickedness and they're located in the invisible heavens but they affect the earth. Does that give us a picture of what the theater of spiritual warfare is? It certainly outlines and frames the power that we have to engage the forces of evil. So what I want to talk about when we come back 
is how are the schemes of the devil formulated to take advantage of the blindness of the human soul. Continue with me, this is serious stuff. We are here coming up to the end of the age when all of the conflict that began in the garden reaches its apogee and is being played out among nations and God is about to raise up a holy people from among all the nations and that which has stood in the place of a holy people is being cast aside to reveal a holy people. How serious do you think this is? Stay tuned, I'm Sam Solon, we'll talk more, bye.